Gentlemen, start your engines. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our guest segment. One of the great friends of the show, and we're excited to have him back again, former CIA agent, former uh, congressional candidate, author of Muka Barat Baby, Eric Burkhardt is here. Good to have you with us, sir. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm I'm all fired up because it's like yesterday my wife and I were out in one of our favorite places in the whole world. We were in St. Augustine and the the outdoor mask wearers are back. And I was like, oh, no, I've seen this movie. It does not end well. And it, they are back. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, the, the ground is shifting so quickly with all of this. Um, I know you live in an area of Texas where uh, sometimes things can be a little bit liberal, like in Austin and in certain parts of Texas, which is generally conservative. What's going on with masking there? Are you seeing uh, sort of a resurgence of people wearing masks again? Well, Jim, I don't know uh, how familiar you are with uh, about an hour west of Austin in the Hill Country, about an hour north of San Antonio. There's a, a particular spot where the Hill Country really starts becoming the landscape. It's a really beautiful part of Texas. And the thing you see most in this part of Texas are Trump signs. <laughs> they aren't coming down. They are growing in number. And I live by a big lake. And every weekend, there's all the boats with the Trump flags. It's a very conservative part of Texas. I haven't seen people wearing masks, period. Uh, I don't remember a, peer, a time period uh, since the COVID issue came into our lives where people were wearing masks in this area, except for the Walmarts and uh, the Best Buys. And, where it and was like required. There. I don't know if you listened to Steve Bannon's War Room. I, I forget what guest he had on, but somebody said, if you're driving around in your car with a mask on and you're by yourself, we don't need to read your bumper sticker to know who you voted for. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I love that because that's, you know, it's it pretty much does fall along like political lines, doesn't it? This whole like fear driven mask thing seems to be something that uh, we largely see among liberals and Democrats. Well, you know, I have to tell you, I, I follow you on, on social media and I, I pay attention to you uh, uh, outside of the box. I've learned a lot from you about Bitcoin and, and ways to to be smarter with my money. I want to thank you for that. But I, I have to tell you, I've heard some of the things that you said echoed by some of the doctors that I see. I, I have 
a couple of doctors. I have medical issues that will be with me for the rest of my life because of my toxic exposure. And um, my doctors that I've had, a neurologist and a pain management doctor, I've had for almost 20 years. And surprisingly, these these guys are conservative and, and they are honest with me about issues involving the the, the COVID uh, uh, virus and the vaccines. And uh, one of my doctors, uh, he tested positive and uh, he didn't get very sick, but after a week he was well and he's not getting a vaccine. He told me there's this this myth that's being perpetrated by the CDC that if you've been sick, you still need to run out and get a vaccine. And uh, so his, you're saying, is it is it his position, like a lot of medical people, that if you're already infected, then that is your vaccine. And that's kind of the old school. That's the old school way. And for people that don't know your backstory and Muka Barat Baby, which is available on Amazon, uh, you you share the story of being poisoned as a CIA agent when you were deployed overseas. And so you're somebody that does have pre-existing medical issues. And so you're, you know, you had to make that decision. I got vaccinated because of being around some people that would want me to be vaccinated. Um, some friends uh-huh. that are, are, are north of 70, some are north of 80. A lot of them have pre-existing uh, medical issues. And um, I made a decision to get vaccinated to make them more comfortable. And uh, I always just say, uh, like, I leave it up to each person. But in your own case, did you personally decide to pass on the vaccination or because of your medical situation and profile you did get vaccinated well uh last year i i had to spend some time in a hyperbaric chamber for a a a related medical issue and you and i could spend time offline talking about that let me tell you uh especially as i have claustrophobia that was not a fun experience but yeah uh the facility that i was going to uh let me know pretty bluntly that I was no longer welcome if I did not get vaccinated. Um, And it was at that time that I decided I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I did. I I got the Johnson and Johnson. And it uh, turns out I learned later from my doctors who were looking at some of my blood work previously that I had already been exposed to the virus and just hadn't gotten very sick. So, I'm one of those ones that whether or not it helps, who knows, I, I'm doubled up with having made the antibody myself and I've gotten vaccinated. Yeah. So I, I think I, I personally think I had COVID um, early mm-hmm. on, like in February of last year, even before anybody like acknowledged publicly that there was such a thing. Uh, you know, they, they said, oh, you couldn't have had it that early. Uh, but I did. I'm, I'm almost positive I did because I was sick for two weeks and never been so sick in, in many years. And I had all of those symptoms other than I didn't have the fever. But, you know, like you did, I still went ahead and got vaccinated. But I have a lot of uh, people I know that are not getting vaccinated. Well, the one big sales pitch was if you get vaccinated, then you're not going to have to wear the mask. And now they've, you know, sort of retracted that. Uh, and that and that's that's upset a lot of people. And our governor here is saying, uh, no, no, we're not going back to the force masks, especially in the schools. Your governor there is is pretty much 
uh, in line with our governor here. I think we're like the two states that still are operating largely on common sense. Um, you know, uh, Jim, there's one thing that I, I was really looking forward to, to tonight because I, I wanted to to ask your thoughts about something that has been on my mind since, again, the the origin of this pandemic issue. Uh, in in 1941, December 7th, December 8th, President Roosevelt went before Congress, and uh, what he had to say uh, was connected to the entire economy of this country mobilizing for war. And uh, car manufacturers started making uh, tanks, and uh, commercial jet manufacturers started making B-29s. And that's just the beginning of it. I am so confused as to why this government that we have tells us that we are in this uh, dire situation, this pandemic, and everybody's got to have masks and so on and so forth. They supposedly know which masks are the best for people. Why haven't they mass produced masks? Why, why haven't they come out and said, yes, it's the N95 or it's the European PFF one, two or three, or instead they've let a good percentage of people run around wearing these masks that have the Dallas Cowboys on the front of them or yeah. uh, J-Lo. And, and the material that is, is nothing a, more than the same material that you have. That is your CIA. That is your CIA agent mind working, because what you're doing there is you're basically asking uh, a question that I, I never thought of asking, which is we know that Fauci. Uh, admitted lying. Uh, you know, when we call Fauci a liar, he himself admits to lying. He says that sure. he, he came out early on and said that people should mask up. Then he retracted, said they should not. Uh, it basically wanted people to not like use up all the good masks because they wanted the medical people to have them. So he told people the opposite. Don't get the mask. But you're right. That's a, that's an incredible question. You ask, Eric, why if 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 the government wants everyone to wear masks again, why don't they provide free N95 medical grade masks? Why aren't they like at every grocery store, every Home Depot, every Walmart, uh, on every street corner, every bus stop? These things should be everywhere um, if they really wanted those masks to be effective. And those are the only masks that even have a, a small chance of being effective. That That's that's a genius question. Well, the, I, I have to share this with you. When I originally read the language, uh, you know, the N95, KN95 uh, with the respirator, those are the masks that uh, we need for our medical professionals. So please don't go out and buy those masks. I, I saw it multiple places coming out of the voice box of the CDC and the administration. And what that really says is some people are more important than others. They are saying it's about the medical community, but it's also about congressmen, and it's about politicians, and it's about the heads of companies. Those are the ones they're talking about that need those masks that they say are the ones that are most uh, useful. What we should have seen was the government saying, we are identifying those masks as being the most important by saying, don't go get them. We need the medical professionals to have them. 
So we're going to start mass producing that mask, especially for those people who are in really sensitive situations, the elderly, the poor, uh, who, who don't have or people that live in rural parts of the country. We are going to mass produce these masks because we've identified it as a necessary thing to do. I, I, I don't have an answer to that. It it mystifies me. Well, that's why some people have said there's something more to the masks like uh, like public compliance, like making people show that they're willing to do what they're told by wearing a mask, even though the mask, uh, the medically, the mask has very little chance of doing much. Uh, but I want to shift gears and ask you about you're not terribly far from the border there. And uh you know, we've got this interesting situation that is developing where we now know that um, immigrants are being allowed to cross illegally into the United States. They're being transported by bus, by plane into the interior of the United States. We even know that uh, po- COVID positive uh, immigrants coming over are being put up in hotels, not being sent back. The local communities where these people are being taken to, where they are COVID positive, they're not alerting those in the local community. This is all being widely reported. Now we have your governor, Greg Abbott, is sending the Texas National Guard, Texas law enforcement to the border to basically um, to implement an opposite policy, which is to close the border which is to arrest people that are illegally crossing. And I ask this question to you as a CIA, former CIA agent, what happens when you have people with guns that have different mandates? You have the federal people saying open border, let these people in. Here's your bus ticket. Here's your plane ticket. Here's your hotel reservation. And then you have the state law enforcement and state uh, military uh, taking an opposite position. Um, What could happen? in that kind of a a circumstance? Uh, You know, Jim, um, from 1995 to 1997, maybe 94 to 97, I I was a special agent for Immigration and Naturalization Service. Oh, really? And yes, and I worked uh, uh, on the border. I worked on a bridge in Laredo, Texas, uh, dealing every day with people trying to come across with fraudulent documents or no documents at all. Uh, The regular job of uh, an inspector or someone working uh, on the border. And uh, I made friends. And when I started working for the CIA, there were many opportunities that I had to use my experience to go down to the border and work on issues that were of interest to the dual interest for the agency and uh, INS. And um, after 9-11, I got to work on uh, some of the projects where we were bringing intelligence together to share, uh, you know, to make intelligence sharing better so we didn't have another 9-11. So I, I am familiar with the border. And as I said, I still have very close friends down there. I was in Del Rio last week. Uh, about three weeks ago, I was in Eagle Pass because I was hearing things like I, I was having trouble believing. Uh, of all the different sectors on the Texas border, you know, each one is uh, patrolled by a different border patrol. Uh, it's a border patrol sector. Well, the Del Rio sector, uh, in April alone, 180,000 uh, undocumented persons were allowed into the country. Um, last month, I believe the number was 
closer to 136,000, but it's very hard to put your finger on it. And these rank and file border patrol officers and uh, homeland security officers, uh, the vast majority of them are really entering a phase of frustration that I can't imagine how they're getting up and going to work in the morning because they were trained to deter illegal entry and they are facilitating it because this administration wants as many people as possible to come across that border. Uh, and it's, I saw people lined up with masks. Of course, all of them have masks. They're handed masks. And then they're put on buses, and I have no idea where they're taken to. Normally, in the old days, you would put them on the bus and take them to a bridge and tell them to walk back across. Not anymore. Now they're given food and put up in hotels. And I, 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 don't, I don't know how this is happening without outrage somewhere in the halls of Congress. Or uh, It's a really shocking thing to see. Yeah, it's hard to imagine if you take that scenario as you describe it and then have the White House pushing for masks again, like, you know, people are saying, why should I wear a mask if they're letting people across the border? Most of them are not being tested. And when they are being tested, if they're positive, they're still coming across the border as positive. Um, and they're not even telling the people in the local communities that there's a hotel filled with covid positive people in your town. Um, these are things that are being widely reported. And it, it just doesn't make any sense, because how can they be asking Americans basically to uh, go at a different standard than they're you know, uh, applying to, to the border? And what do you make of this idea? Uh, do, do you think that there could potentially be any kind of a a clash between the federal government and the state of Texas as they both pursue different mandates regarding that shared border, which is a state border and also a national border. I, I, I don't see it happening. What I see happening is uh, a rebellion amongst federal law enforcement officers on the border uh, against the federal government and its mandates. And uh, it, because they were trained to do a particular job right. and they understand how serious it is. I just, uh, for a point of interest, I, I was having coffee with a border patrol chief. Uh, I won't say what sector it was from. And this was last week. And he told me, he said, we are hearing that a lot of, uh, persons who are undocumented, who are uh, going to the, uh, uh, Homeland security offices in their local city are, having no trouble getting resident alien documentation. And the reasoning behind that is because there's this push to get as many resident aliens uh, uh, documented in the United States as quickly as possible before amnesty. Because when amnesty comes, everybody who's a resident alien becomes a citizen. So you could have someone who comes across the border in Del Rio in March of 2021, ends up in Oklahoma City, goes into their Homeland Security office and says, what do I need to do to become a resident alien? Obviously, they're not going to arrest him and take him back down to the border. I mean, they took him to Oklahoma City. And the uh, Homeland Security person says, here, fill this out. Next thing you know, he gets his card in the mail. And 
when amnesty comes towards the end of 2021, he becomes a citizen. I know it sounds far-fetched, but this is the kind of thing people are thinking. Well, people in this is clearly, yeah, this is the magnet, right? Because they've been talking about the amnesty now uh, during the campaign and now, you know, that Biden is in office. And, and I'm very pro-immigration, and I, it sounds like you are as well. But within certain parameters, like we have to, as a country, decide how many people per year can we afford to allow in and what are the requirements you know, based on, you know, some amount of it could be based on humanitarian. Some of it could be based on what we need here as far as skills go. But there has to be a logical process. It just can't be open up the border and everybody that wants to can come in, especially during this time uh, of the COVID crisis, which is heating up again. Well, we have a, a little document called Immigration Law that has been working for this country for a century. And uh, there's a, a version from 96, a version from 97. And that is where we should look to for how to deal with all of these situations, because it's proven effective. It's proven to be effective in the past. Um, I do believe in in immigration, but I believe in controlled immigration. And I believe in immigration law that has particular uh, visas for particular persons who come for particular reasons. Um, and letting people come in 180,000 at a, at a shot when we're in the middle, when we are repeatedly uh, told about this pandemic and how we can't travel and we can't go anywhere, but please come in. Um, <laughs> right. And, and from Mexico, which uh, it has, in all honesty, is a regular exporter of gang violence to this country and and narcotics. It, it and they have, no sense if, if they're not a hotspot, what is a hotspot? Mexico's COVID numbers are worse than any state in, in our country. And to just look at them as, well, it's a different country, so we're not going to apply those rules. I was uh, – there's a travel uh, video guy that my wife and I follow. He um, does all these videos. He travels around the world, and we have fun watching him. So we're watching him today, and he's in Germany, and he's talking about how he's counting that in like 28 days he has to be out of Europe because in Europe you can only go for like 90 days as a U.S. citizen, mm -hmm. and then you have to leave yeah. – for 90 days before you can come back and, and nobody's screaming about that, that that's racist or, you know, somehow unfair. Uh, and that's, you know, to us, uh, citizens, it's really to citizens around the world. Europe has this rule, like you can come and visit us for three months, but then you have to go away for three months unless you get, you know, all your paperwork and pay all the money and everything else. Uh, it seems like the U S is, is the only country that, um, doesn't really want to have borders anymore. But progressives aim for a border-free – they aim for the United States to be the first shining example of a border-free nation. Um, and they'll tell you that. Um, that's why their policies are directed the way they are. And it's, in my opinion, is, is a suicide for a, a nation. Um, it goes against everything that binds a nation together. Uh, well, who but, was it? Uh, uh, Michael Savage said, if you don't have borders, you don't have a, a country. I'm going to open up the phone lines now. For those watching on the video feed, you'll see the phone number just appeared in the uh, lower corner of your screen. It's 646 716 
4041. Anywhere, uh, anywhere in the world you can call in, but you're going to need a, a U.S. dial tone. So however you get out of your country into the U.S. to dial a U.S. number, it's area code 646-716-4041. Uh, watching on the video, there's your phone number. If you're listening on the audio stream anywhere uh, in the United States or around the world, you can get a U.S. dial tone. You can call us right now, 646 716 4041, your question or comment for Eric Burkhart, a former CIA agent. And uh, my producer gave me some notes of some things that you wanted to get into. One of the topics you say here that uh, the Department of Defense seems to sort of be fading into the background for now. Uh, where do the FBI and the CIA and uh, local law enforcement uh, fit in? Uh, what is that topic you want to get into? Well, that was with regards to the uh, the recent UFO uh, disclosures oh, okay. by the Department of Defense. Yeah, what about uh, that? The videos. I, I know that that's a, a particular subject dear to your heart, so that's why I brought it up. Yeah, because it's, for sure. Um, it's one of the few subjects that I have to be very sensitive about when I talk about my career. I, I'm very clear about what it is I can say and what I can't. And that's one of the subjects you have to be very uh, careful about. Um, and, uh, you know, the, there was a, a uh, an office in the Pentagon that was uh, uh, collecting and examining uh, uh, evidence uh, for some time uh, regarding UFOs, of course, and the government was saying they weren't, they had no interest. Um, and then it came out that they did have this office. Well, I was aware of that office. I knew that they had an interest, and I'm not, I'm not going to hide and say that the government hasn't been involved. Um, but what is really unfortunate is I thought we were heading down the road to disclosure. And all of a sudden, the Biden administration takes over and it closes up like uh, someone who's just got nervous, a reflex or some, yeah. some sort. And if you know what I'm talking about, it yeah. just shuts up. I thought it was coming and in June and then it it was like delayed, delayed, delayed. Finally, right at the end of the June, at the end of the month of June, it came out and uh, our good friend Ellie Marzulli called it a nothing burger, <laughs> a big fat mm-hmm. nothing burger. And that's what it that's what it, it seemed was, like. It was a typical government. Uh, yeah, we said this, but yeah, we didn't kind of uh, 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 a document. And they actually stepped back. And that was very disappointing to me because I think it's a very important issue. I think it's really unfortunate that the government for years has been allowing certain groups of skeptics to call people liars, good Americans, uh, rural farmers who say they see something and a regular average Joes. And then people become hesitant to talk about things. And I think that's very sad. Um, I, I do think it's time that the government uh, started going down that road more aggressively. Um, and that's why I said, you know, we're, now that the government has the DOD has shut up. What about the FBI and the CIA? They must have been involved somewhere along the lines as well. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where this goes from here. Absolutely. 
Uh, all right. Some questions are coming in by email, but I want to remind people the phone number is 646-716-4041. So a question by email. This person is in Dallas. Uh, not, I guess, not terribly far from you, maybe uh, a few hours drive from from Dallas. They want to know about maybe. Taiwan and China. And this has kind of worried me, too, because I've been reading these stories about where there's this idea that Russia and China could sort of uh, work together and strike the United States, especially if we try to stop China from invading Taiwan. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? I do. Uh, that's a, a, a subject that uh, was important to me during my agency career. It was something that was a priority reporting issue um, and also a priority uh, um, for uh, recruiting. Um, you know, uh, recruiting a Chinese diplomat, my goodness, that makes your career like the Russian that I went after that poisoned me. But uh, one thing that people you know, need to really sit back and ask themselves. Uh, we know what kind of government sits in Beijing. We know it's run by the Red Army. We know they've infiltrated all of our schools and our defense department uh, research projects with with people. Uh, it's still a communist entity. And people say they don't care how many soldiers die. Why haven't they taken Taiwan? Why haven't they gone ahead and moved in? And a lot of people will say, well, we've acted as a deterrent. But there is another deterrent, and that is the Taiwanese military. If China moves militarily against Taiwan, uh, they're going to show their weaknesses militarily. If there are any, they're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And number two, the Taiwanese have a very modern air force. That's a big part of it because the, the Chinese have struggled with that issue. And the Taiwanese are flying their own version of F-15 and F-16s. And the Taiwanese have submarines with missiles, French submarines. We don't really know what kind of missiles they have. So people need to keep in mind that the Taiwanese military is a very legitimate uh, entity. Uh, certainly, it's not going to, I don't think they could last forever against the Chinese. But I think that's a big reason why the Chinese have been willing to push as much as they can for a diplomatic angle. And with Russia on their side, it does give them a more clout, per se, especially since Europe is snuggling up recently to Putin over the gas issue. And uh, so I, I think that that is uh, one of the reasons why you'll see the Chinese looking to make friends. Um, I don't think they're ready to move militarily against Taiwan. All right. Another question coming in here. This one from our listener in New Jersey. Um, they want to ask you what you think about Trump's political future. Um, everybody's saying for sure he's going to run again. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure, only because maybe he doesn't want that fight again. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is his proxy. And he says, look, I don't want to I'm not going to run again. I want to be with my family, but I want you to go for DeSantis. He represents everything I do. And I want you to vote for DeSantis. I see that as a possibility or for sure DeSantis as the VP for Trump. What, what do you think? 
Well, uh, this is a, such a, a, a delicate subject, especially for me my, in my opinion. I, I, of course, I voted for Donald Trump twice, uh, and uh, I thought that he was a a very good president. Uh, with more importantly, the, the the what he did to get us out from some terrible trade agreements that were made during the Obama administration, trading so. So other countries would vote a certain way on the Clean Air Act and things coming out of the U.N. We were underwater in a number of trade uh, agreements, and he did some marvelous work there. And brought our Uh, troops home, too, right? That's right. But the thing is, everybody is flawed, and Trump is is a flawed man like I'm a flawed man. But he carried some baggage with him into the Oval Office that I I felt should have been left outside of the door. You know, personal things that, you know, shouldn't have been mentioned again. Even if people outside the office are screaming and yelling about it, you got to just ignore it. You don't get into arguments over social media with people and things like that. I think in a way he he damaged himself and made it even more difficult to put together a legitimate uh, organization to investigate what was obvious election fraud in state after state after state, because Trump had a dearth of uh, uh, friends in the um, middle of the road community, so to speak. I would vote for him again, absolutely, but I would really like to see him work on the sidelines to get us uh, a, a Republican um, in, in the White House. Uh, it may all be a moot point because I think the amnesty issue might be turning us into a one-party state, which would be horrifying. But, uh, you know, if if he does run again and he's the nominee, I will vote for him. I mean, I'm not scared to admit I've never voted for a Democrat. So <laughs> yeah. it's going to start happening now. Um, I remember my first uh, election I voted in was in 1984. Uh, I think you and I are close to the same age. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, I voted for uh, I think that was my first vote uh, for Reagan. I, th- I believe that was the Reagan, right? Yes, and and my, my father took me out to the Alamo to a, a Reagan rally, and uh, that was something I will never forget. I shook his hand. I've got a picture of little me here in my house, shaking hands with uh, President Reagan next to some pictures of me older with some presidents. Uh, oh, there you go. So uh, that's great. Yeah, it was a, it was a great uh, moment for me, um, but. Um, I, like I said, uh, you know, I, I think Trump can do so much good uh, on the sidelines. And also, if we can get a Republican back in office, he needs to be brought in regularly to help us negotiate uh, trade issues. That's that's how I feel about it. And the final question, uh, uh, one of the questions you had sent to my producer, what's going on with the former president of South Africa and all of this news about the massive corruption and missing money. And has he been arrested or he's going to be arrested? What's happening with that? You know, this is another issue that 
is very close to my heart. I, I went and, and worked in South Africa right out of college, and then I went back multiple times uh, working in Africa with the CIA. Uh, I speak fluent Afrikaans. I speak a little bit of Zulu and Kosa, and I'm very familiar with the political dynamic in that country. Uh, I was in South Africa when Nelson Mandela was released and when the Group Areas Act was declared illegal. So uh, what happens there is important to me. Jacob Zuma, uh, an ANC stalwart who was uh, very, very active with Mkontuwe Sizwe, the anti-apartheid military organization that fought the white government uh, in the 70s and 80s, very heroic in the in the in the uh, black community, in particular with poor uh, people, and uh, he became president. And as soon as he stepped into that office, he started stealing. And there wasn't even a real effort to hide it. Uh, he surrounded himself with thieves. And they're talking about 300 to 400 billion. Billion dollars, with a B. Billion with dollars. a B. Wow. Yes. yes. He brought in two uh, it, uh, ethnic Indian, uh, not ethnic, that's not the right word to use, uh, Indian nationals. And there's a very large uh, ethnic Indian community in South Africa, and they're South African nationals. But these two were Indian nationals, uh, businessmen, international businessmen, and they they taught him how to loot the South African treasury. His 19-year-old son has what four or five Lamborghinis. Uh, his other <laughs> son, a collection of Mercedes. His uh, uh, they were able uh, a wedding. One of the Indian gentleman I was referring to, one of his kids got married. They used an Air Force base as for the reception and used uh, a military plane to fly people in from around the world wow. for the wedding. And and this is it's it's uh, what someone in my my old French grandfather would say is corruption de luxe. The uh, the most you can be corrupt. <laughs> well, yeah, especially in a country like that, where corrupted. that that money that is they're stealing is money that could go to food and medicine and basic needs. Oh my I mean, that kind of they, money they, could go so far to help so many people. Uh, really, they have blood on their hands stealing that money. Well, absolutely. The, the housing issue, there's no housing, there's no jobs. But what happened is the government finally decided after he got out of office to start looking into it, and they ordered him to appear before a constitutional court, and he said no. So they said, okay, 15 months sentence in jail, and they threw him in jail. Well, he's sitting in jail. He tells his people, go get the poor communities and tell them to riot and burn the country until they let me out. Wow. And that's what happened. We saw riots and looting in South Africa like hasn't been seen since the days of Soweto and, and, and apartheid. And, and so these people are uh, just being, they're being deceived. Uh, he's got this populist following notwithstanding the fact that these are the very people that are victims of his theft. You understand it exactly, Jim. That is exactly what's happening, and it's such a tragedy because South Africa is a is an immensely wealthy country, and the the whites that the intelligent uh, degree whites that everybody thought were going to leave, they are still there, but they live in fortress communities, and they the government needs them 
to keep the money coming in. And so they still make a huge amount of money and they still live like uh, exceptional lifestyles. And they're living in, you're talking about, they're in like gated, walled off communities. Mm -hmm. So you have these really rich and then you have the really poor. And, um, you know, to transition to one last question that just came in, maybe somewhat similar. Uh Someone wants to ask you here about Haiti. The uh, president of Haiti was recently assassinated uh, by a group of mercenaries, a couple of which I guess were linked back to the United States, uh, uh, not our government, but just people that may have been trained by us in the past in South America. I guess they were trained by our military, but these are mercenaries. Uh, In cold blood, the president of Haiti was assassinated. His wife escaped alive. Now there's questions again about what's going to happen next in Haiti. And that's what this emailer is asking, if you have any insights uh, about Haiti. Well, I'll, I'll try and be quick with my answer. I, I Yes, there, there, there is a real uh, concern that there you know, will always be people who are trained by our military overseas and trained by the CIA overseas who end up using that training for nefarious uh, efforts. And that's just a a necessary evil. You try and avoid that kind of thing. Haiti reminds me a bit of South Africa. If if we could find a way to put a a legitimate, honest government uh, in charge to run the show, that country could be wealthy uh, in agriculture, in minerals, uh, in trade as an entrepot for the, uh, the Caribbean islands. And instead, it's one crook after another. I mean, just in tourism, I mean, the other side of the island, which is the Dominican Republic, is an incredible mm -hmm. place for tourism and prospers. Uh, But the, you know, this this Hispaniola is split. You've got the Haitians living in, you know, abstract poverty without even the basics of like, uh, you know, the basic, you know, sewage waste systems and things like this are missing in many years. Then you have the other side of the island with these incredible five star resorts, uh, Dominican uh-huh. Republic. And uh, it just seems like a quagmire of corruption, no matter who is in charge there. It just seems like instability after instability. And, you know, it's not just a, a U.S. connection there. France is up to its, uh, you know, neck in, in, in issues dealing with Haiti as well. Uh, and between the United States and France, I am so disappointed that we haven't been able to have an administration that comes in and works with the French to try and legitimately change the M.O. of politics in that in that country. Um, that's that's my perspective of Haiti. It's a it's a it's a great place, uh, but very, very uh, great uh, possibilities uh, and opportunities uh, to to be wealthy. But you've got to end the cycle of corruption. Absolutely. And uh, as we close it out, I want to again tell people it's an incredible read. If you want to read the Eric's story, Muka Barat Baby, if you want to go to Amazon and type in Eric Burkhart, you'll find the book. And it is really exciting, uh, a spy story, if you will, and about what happened to him being poisoned by a Russian. I mean, it should be made into a movie. Incredible story. And uh, what do you have planned next, uh, Eric? Are you thinking of running for Congress again? Do you have uh, uh, any any new books coming or speaking engagements or a website people can go to? Uh, Give us a one-minute commercial on the next chapter for you. Okay. 
I'm I'm not uh, I, politics was is not in my future. I, <laughs> I lasted about I lasted about two months, and the next time we have a chance to talk, I'll explain to you uh, how Ted Cruz uh, managed to get his chief of staff elected to Congress in a district where he'd never actually even visited to before. Um, but uh, regardless, you know, some people are are better and uh, adapted fitting into Congress. I'm 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 not. Politics I thought you were going to say you were poisoned by Ted Cruz, and I was going to say, now that's interesting. <laughs> but maybe we could say you know, meta- meta- metaphorically, you were poisoned politically <laughs> by Ted Cruz. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my book, Mukhabarat, um, means uh, CIA in Arabic. That's why I chose that title. Um, and the last thing I'll say is uh, the the agency was very, very generous, allowing me to talk about our training regimen for operations officers in the CIA because the media had put out such a ridiculous string of movies and books about how things really went at the farm. And uh, they allowed, they didn't redact anything that I wrote about my two years of training. And, and I, I'm grateful for that. So if people want to know the truth about all of the special operations training and the SEER school and everything we had to go through or, or did during my time, it's there in my book. And if anybody ever messes with you, you have a shoe that has like a knife that comes out of the heel. And and I'm just I know you're going to have to kill me now because I've disclosed that. No, I, I, I have a knife that turns into a shoe, actually. OK, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it that's it's a great book. I've tell people I've read it and uh, just just fascinating. And Eric, it's always great to have you with us. You're always a great guest, always informative. Eric Burkhart, uh, check out his book, Muka Barad Baby on Amazon. And we hope you come back again in a few weeks uh, to talk about the uh, next chapter of whatever this crazy world is going to bring us. Thank you so much, Jim. You are a great man, and I'm so pleased to know you. I hope I get to meet you in person one day. Thank you for being so kind and generous to me and letting and sharing your audience with it's me. It's been our pleasure. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Uh, what a great guy. I always love having him on. Uh, wonderful guy. And what an incredible story. If you're somebody that loves those spy stories, you got to read his book because he does tell you everything about, you know, the training and what happened to him. And uh, like I said, it should be turned into a movie. Well, we will keep our fingers crossed and hope that this episode does not get banned from social media. But uh, if you're here watching, that's one of the reasons to, to watch and listen live, because, well, at least while we're live, they haven't cut us off yet. Like during the actual live broadcast, we haven't been taken off the air. But it does happen when we put the uh, replay out there and the uh, sensors get a chance to uh to take a listen and a watch uh, to what we're doing. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, remember uh, the new uh, Q&A thing we have set up. Uh, we've got the website uh, link for that over at jimparisradio.com. And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. Thanks for joining us. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.